Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Forensic science as a science dates pretty far back. The earliest written account on the use of specifically medical forensic sciences was in 1248 in China, written by this very clever man called Song Zhi. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. And the book is called Xu Yuan Lu, which translates to washing away of wrongs because the evidence will wash away the wrongs. And Song Zhi, in my opinion, was basically the Asian granddaddy of forensic evidence in court. He didn't just create and standardize methods for establishing time and cause of death. This man in 1248 was figuring out how to differentiate murder, suicide, accidents. He could tell if you drown and if you are strangled, which sounds super basic now, right? But imagine being the first person to figure this out. And he was a pioneer. He didn't just do science stuff. No, our man was multifaceted. He was also a damn good director of justice in ancient China. He established regulations like how to protect evidence, prevent evidence contamination, and how forensic workers as expert witnesses okay, in court in ancient China needed to behave with impartiality. Okay, and now while we know that forensic evidence has been around for a while, specifically DNA evidence from previous cases, we do know is pretty recent in like the last 50, 60 years or so, it's really gained traction. So what happens now when you have a prosecution and a defense, each with forensic evidence and like conflicting testimony on what it means? Hi, I'm Teddy and welcome to A Brief Case. Today, we're looking at the unsolved murder of Rami Piran Kanikspari. Rami Piran was 39 years old. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, but let's call her Rami. And we're gonna drop you right into the middle of her life. We know that she was married but separated. And we know that she got separated because she was sleeping with her husband's sister's brother-in-law all right and this wasn't just a one-time thing this wasn't just wham bam thank you ma'am this was a six year long affair and apparently her husband knew about the affair like just a couple of years in in 1991 he confronted her about it but she basically gaslit him she told him that this isn't true i totally am not sleeping with your sister's brother-in-law okay and if he was so sure about it, if he was so sure that she was having an affair, why didn't she just go and ask the guy himself? So her husband was like, all right. So he goes and asks the guy that Rami was having an affair with, which was 40-year-old Nadasan Chandra Sacharan. So he confronts the guy and the guy is like, oh yeah, it's true. And so Rami and her husband separated. So that's pretty complicated right and it's a little bit shady i mean if you're gonna have an affair don't have an affair with family members or, or just don't have an affair at all so let's fast forward a little bit so they he finds out about the affair in 1991 they separate and they continue the affair now it's 17th april 
1995. Rami works as a production operator at a factory near Ang Mokyo. And on that day, we know that she left her workplace around 12.15pm. So right in the middle of the afternoon, the sun is shining, it's really hot, it's the middle of the day. Six hours later, so that would be 6pm in the evening, a person having exercise like a jogger or something, he found her on a cement patch in a grassy area in Ulu Sembawang. So that's far, that's like 10km away from Ang Mokyo. Rami had been stabbed 13 times in the face and neck and they could tell that she had been run over like multiple times and she had tire marks all over her body. Based on this evidence, this, this wasn't just to kill her, the person that killed her must have really had like some strong feelings to kill her like that. Now, three days after her body was found on 20th April 1995, the police arrested Nadasan. Now, we know that this is a controversial case and we know that this is an unsolved case. What we don't really know is what happened. So based on circumstantial evidence, this is what the prosecution believes happened. So Rami wanted to end the affair. They knew that because like um, Nadasan did write in his diary that Rami wanted to end the affair a while ago. And maybe she was done with him. Maybe she wanted to repair the relationship with her husband and get her family back together. Either way, we don't know why, but they were done. They believed that Nadasan was angry. I mean, this was an affair that essentially destroyed two families' lives. So he stabs her, throws her out of the van, and then runs her over again and again. And then after that, he brings the van for a very thorough cleaning. And the evidence provided by the prosecution was a tooth found in the van that matched the DNA of Rami. Alright, and this tooth matched her bone marrow DNA and the test was conducted by a British lab which would have been probably really advanced at that time. So another tooth fragment was found in the stomach that they suspected that she swallowed while being run over. They also found some jewellery that allegedly belonged to her and this was confirmed by her sister. Her sister's like, yeah, I've definitely seen her wearing this before. They also got a forensic scientist from New Zealand that confirmed that the tyre marks on her body and on the scene matched the tyre marks on his van. Okay, and not just the marks, okay, it's crazy. They calculated the two tyre marks found on her body. They chose two tyre marks and I think they did some like science calculation and then they measured the distance between the tires on the van on Nadasan's van and it was a very likely match. In his defense, Nadasan had he had an alibi. Alright, he said that he was in Ishun that whole day. She called him in the morning saying that she'd call him at noon, but then she didn't, but that wasn't out of the blue. Like sometimes she would say she called but then she wouldn't call. So he left his workplace and he was driving in Ishun. But then, apparently, like, a part of his van, I think something called, like, a van filter, car filter, it had issues, like, it was choked up. While this is happening, while he's, like, troubleshooting his van, remember this is 1995, right? So he gets a page from his pager, from his boss, and he runs to a payphone to call his boss back. And what's interesting about this alibi was that this was confirmed by his boss to be true, that his boss did go like, yeah, I paged him and he called back from a payphone. After that, it takes a while. It takes at least an hour-ish to fix his van before he manages to drive back to his job at a country club. In addition to that alibi, there's also other evidence. 
So the tooth was in the van because she, Rami, she had this habit of opening beer bottles with her teeth. Okay, and that's not too uncommon. I know people who do that, and I mean they were a couple. And in court, Nadasan did say that they did do couple stuff in van, which I guess would include drinking beer and opening beer bottles. And her teeth could have definitely accidentally chipped then, which. Honestly, it does sound kind of valid. It's like you definitely expect to find your girlfriend or boyfriend's hair in the house and their fingerprints in your house. You know, it's not that unusual. So I think this is the prosecution side. They also got an expert witness, like a car repair mechanic expert witness, that said the car filter issue should only take ten to twenty minutes to fix the issue instead of a whole hour. But then that's the thing. It was raining. Alright, which always makes things a little harder. And Nadasan didn't really work as a mechanic, so he might not have been super good at fixing cars, you know. And the thing is that it was around lunchtime, so you know sometimes you are not really in a rush to get back to work. So really, a lot of it felt kind of circumstantial. And if you really looked at it, it could have been a coincidence: the matching van, the jewelry, and the teeth. But at the end of the first trial, just based on so much expert witness, Nadasan was found guilty. And sentenced to death, but Nadasan's lawyer appealed. So his lawyer at the time was Subhas Anadan, who in Singapore was a damn prominent criminal lawyer. Right, like a quick summary, he was the lawyer for the Anthony Le case. He was the lawyer for the Huang Na case. He even represented a Salakau gang member accused of of killing somebody else before. Like this guy has experienced. I mean, this guy was known as the Basher in court. So now, in the court of appeal, there was a laundry list of things that they considered. You know, like for example, some people are not great at cars, and the court of appeal they actually thought that the strategy. Remember, we were talking about the wheels and the tire and the distance. They thought that the strategy used by the expert witness for the tire marks, they thought it wasn't sufficiently rigorous, which is fair, lah. Okay, and they also suspected that. The DNA may not have been the cleanest. According to the expert witness, the same expert witness, they found other traces of DNA, and it was on the ground. It could have been contaminated. They couldn't match it to her body exactly because her body had been returned to her family. Even if it was matched, it's very circumstantial because she did like to open bottles with her teeth, and they did hang out in his van quite a lot. The jewelry, the jewelry wasn't like a special bespoke. Piece of jewelry, so it could technically be anybody else's jewelry. Just coincidentally, that she did have that piece of jewelry. And again, with the fixing of the van, he wasn't a mechanic, and the van was super old, like twenty years old. So it could have taken a little bit longer to fix as well. They went through everything again. He was acquitted and released from prison. And to this day, this case remains. Unsolved. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of a briefcase podcast. It was pretty controversial. I mean, what do you think happened in the case of an affair? Like, just generally, not not referring to this case, a ton of people would have been hurt, and it would have been a lot of motivation. And I'm pretty sure that, like in any case, the police would have investigated pretty thoroughly. But you know, like not talking about this case again. But whenever it's an affair, there's gonna be a lot of people who are really salty. The husband, the wife of the person you're having an affair with. You know, just don't lah. Like either divorce first or you just don't have an affair lah. Of course, 
this is an unsolved case. So what do you guys think really happened? You can find us on Instagram at a briefcase podcast and online at a briefcasepodcast.com. And do join us next week for another brief case. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.